So 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at the first verse. This is God's inerrant and infallible word. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. So far, do we read from God's word? May he bless it to us. Well, we're reading here from 2 Timothy this morning uh, because we are returning to the summer series. We're not that far into fall yet, I hope. Uh, We had a summer series started a few months ago on the faithful sayings found in First and Second Timothy and Titus, the so-called pastoral epistles. Five times that we have that introductory saying, or that qualification, this is a faithful saying. And uh, over the summer months, with all the different ways that that got interrupted, we considered three of those faithful sayings. I hope you remember a little bit of what we've already considered. First Timothy 1.15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. A faithful gospel saying. And then First Timothy 3, verse 1, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the office of overseer, he desires a good work. 
This is a church government saying that is faithful as well. And then the last time we were looking at faithful sayings, 1 Timothy 4, 8, and 9, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, uh, a gospel saying, a government saying, and a godliness saying. Well, so this morning, in God's providence, we've come to the fourth. And if you're joining with us and you haven't heard the other ones, that's all right. We'll just be here together this morning in Second Timothy chapter 2. The fourth of the five faithful sayings. And I think this faithful saying from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, might be the easiest to remember. At least to remember what it, what it is about. Because this is a faithful saying about being faithful. The same word is used in this is a faithful saying in what the saying actually is. And so this is a faithful saying about faithfulness. That's the theme. Faithful sayings are true and trustworthy and reliable. And in a similar way, being faithful then as a person means being true to your promises, to be trustworthy in your commitments, to be reliable in your relationships. This is a faithful saying about faithfulness. You know, as we have that theme brought to our minds this morning, we know that life in a fallen world is plagued with unfaithfulness. You may have experienced unfaithfulness in different ways in your own life as we come here this morning. But you know, I think even in a culture where, for instance, the biblical view of marriage is mocked in many ways, to be unfaithful, that's usually where we hear that word unfaithful in the context of relationships and uh, marriage. To be unfaithful is still a pretty big thing, I think, for most people. It would be a serious criticism of character, especially if you were the one experiencing the unfaithfulness. Faithfulness is still in many ways, even in our fallen society, faithfulness is still in many ways considered to be a virtuous virtue. It's good to be faithful and not unfaithful. You know, if you were to travel to Japan and stand outside the Shibuya Shibuya train station in Tokyo, you'll find a very famous statue. But it's not a statue of a person. It is the statue of an Akita dog named Hachiko. Hachiko's master, a man named 
Uino, Professor Uino, adopted Hachiko in 1924. And every day Hachiko would meet his master at that train station when the professor would come home from work at the university. But sadly, Professor Uino died in 1925. But still every day, Hachiko would go at 6 p.m. to the Shibuya train station as if to meet his master. Hachiko did that for 10 years until he died in 1935. In Japan, they still call him Chuken Hachiko, which means Hachiko, the faithful dog. And all the people said, Aw, we like faithfulness. We admire faithfulness. We can recognize its beauty and its worth, even in a dog. But here is the question this morning. Am I just sentimental about faithfulness? Or am I serious about it? Serious in my own life and relationships? But especially serious about it in my life before God. My life in relation to Jesus Christ. And one theologian has said that all of human history can really be boiled down to this. Faithfulness or unfaithfulness toward God. And the consequences of both. Those are the two paths, the two directions of human history and of human lives, faithfulness and unfaithfulness to God, and the consequences of both. So this is what this fourth faithful saying faces us with. The theme really is divine faithfulness. Or in context of 2 Timothy chapter 2, the faithfulness of Christ. And Paul lays out this theme of faithfulness from verses 11 to 13 in three main ways. Divine faithfulness. First, a comfort. And then a warning. And lastly, a blessed necessity. A comfort, a warning, and the necessity of divine faithfulness. This fourth faithful saying is faithful. It's also very beautiful. It's a beautiful saying. It's beautiful in its structure. And that's why it's often set off in some way in the printing of our Bibles. In English, maybe your version has these words, indented. 
to show that there, there's something particularly beautiful about the, the way that these verses are structured. Verses 11 through 13 exhibit a beautiful parallel and symmetry. But this beauty, we should note, comes from four statements which in themselves are very rational. When you hear the word rational, do you often think beauty? But these are beautiful statements and very rational statements. They are if-then statements. If-then, if-then. This passage is really divine logic on display. We need to remember that this world is a world that God created. And so this is an if-then world of divinely created order. Human beings created in God's image have built-in reasoning. That reasoning has been affected by the fall in many ways, distorted and twisted, but it's still there. Our minds are wired to be if-then minds. Christianity is a thinking faith. It is more than thinking, of course, but it is never less than thinking. We are called to love God with our whole minds and to have our minds, our thinking, transformed and not to be conformed to the world's thinking. But sin messes up our thinking. And the effect of sin on our thinking can distort presuppositions on the one hand and conclusions on the other hand. As sinners, we often don't get it right in where we start with our thinking. And we don't get it right where we end up in our thinking. That is why having the Bible, having the Word of God is such a blessing. God himself gives us infallible truth, inerrant logic, reliable reasoning. And he also works in his people by his grace and spirit so that we don't suppress the truth in unrighteousness. But we are enabled to think God's revealed thoughts after him. When our thinking, you see, as human beings, is saved thinking, redeemed thinking, gospel thinking, godly thinking, then when God speaks in Scripture, we say amen. When he says, if, then, we say amen, because he is the God who cannot lie. As one of my old teachers used to say, God works in a person's mind and heart so that we just don't understand his word, but we stand under his word. We submit to it humbly and thankfully. When we see what God says, we don't, by his grace, say, no, I think. And so when God says, if, then, we say amen. 
because he is God. And so here is beautiful biblical logic about faithfulness. Here is a trustworthy saying. Let's just begin it. Verse 11. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. These first two statements display the comfort of divine faithfulness. The hymn, of course, is Christ. Verse 10, the salvation that is in Christ Jesus if we die with him. And so the hymn is Christ. The first two if-then statements reflect Christ's faithfulness and the faithfulness of believers and provide them with a great comfort. If we died with him. Now, when that word died is used, there's lots of debate. What does it mean? Because the Bible uses that language in different ways. Does it refer to our union with Christ, dying and rising spiritually with Christ in his death and resurrection? Galatians 2.20 is no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ. And that is true, biblically, of the elect. They have been crucified with Christ, raised with Christ. Union with Christ means the old man has been put to death, and God has made us alive with Christ Jesus. So some say it may refer to that. Others say this possibly refers to sanctification, dying to sin every day. That is also true in the Christian life, Romans 6, as an outworking of our union with Christ and our justification in him. We are to put sin to death and be made more and more alive to God. Those two senses of death, of course, for the believer are biblical and true. But they are not really what Paul is dealing with here. They are, of course, in the background. They are implicit. They are the foundation for what Paul is saying here to Timothy. Just be reminded of chapter 2, even, of the context. Paul says to Timothy, be strong. Why? Well, in verse 3, he mentions hardships in the Christian ministry in particular, but in the Christian life in general. The word means afflictions, troubles, evils that come to us in life. Paul uses those three pictures of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer, with the point being these are all occupations that revolve around hard work and pain and suffering and toil. Verse 9, Paul mentions his own suffering, even to the point of being chained, referring to his imprisonment. For the gospel. Verse 10, again, that word hardships, even evils that he endures for the sake of the elect. 
And so that's the context here of if we died with him, we will also live with him. The comfort and encouragement of this faithful saying, if we die with him. So some have said perhaps it's martyrdom that is in view. If we die with him or for his sake. It it can't obviously mean just any death suffered by anyone. It must be a believer who is in view, united to Christ, having died and been raised with him. The other senses of having died must be factored in here. But because of the context, it may be referring, Paul may be referring to martyrdom or the potential for martyrdom, being ready every day to die, having died to the approval of people. Paul says elsewhere, am am I still trying to please people? I wouldn't suffer if I was trying to please people. Dead to their smiles or frowns when that means being unfaithful to Jesus. We die to that if we've died. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body, 2 Corinthians 4.10. I face death every day, 1 Corinthians 15.31. Sufferings and afflictions and hardships, but also dead to the fear of man, living instead in the fear of God. Remembering what Jesus said, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Die to the fear of man, being willing for the sake of Christ to be faithful even to the point of shedding blood if we die with him. But here's the encouragement, here's the comfort for Timothy in that context. With Paul himself facing martyrdom in his chains. Timothy, even if we are to lose this physical life, it is not ultimate loss. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. In the face of hardships and suffering and evils and potentially even death for the sake of Christ, Here's the comfort for the believer. Life. Life with him. The life of blessing in Christ now and eternal life and blessing in glory. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes and brothers and Sisters and mothers and children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. That's the comfort 
Paul is giving here to Timothy. This is the comfort that the Holy Spirit is speaking to believers who, because of their faithfulness to Christ, face hardships and suffering and even evil. If we die with him and all that that can mean, we will live with them, with him, if then, if then. And so the writer of the Hebrews says in Hebrews 10.23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And the second line is similar, isn't it? Another comfort of divine faithfulness. If we endure, we will also reign with him. The word endure here means to remain. It just means to stay. So what's the idea? It's the idea of someone who stays at your post even when it gets hard. You endure. It means not running away when the going gets tough. If we endure. If we endure. Because not everyone endures. Didn't Jesus interpret his own parable in Mark 4, saying, Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. But Paul says, if we endure we will also reign with him. The comfort of this faithful saying is that those who are loyal to Christ, who are faithful to him, and who endure through the sufferings and hardships and even persecutions of this life, he is faithful to his promises. Even if you are chained like a criminal on earth, like Paul was, He was at the same time seated with Christ in heavenly places. And one day, believers will be vindicated and will reign with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. What a comfort when the enduring is hard. If we endure, we will reign with him. So you see what Paul is saying as he's speaking to his protege in the ministry? Timothy, live by faith, not by sight, not by feeling. When hardships come, when suffering comes, when evils come, when persecution comes, don't live by sight, don't live by feelings, but rely on the faithfulness of Christ, who is faithful to his word, who is faithful to his promises for all who believe, who by God's grace through faith are enabled even to die for his sake and to endure for his sake. Such will live and reign with him. The Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one, 2 Thessalonians 3.3. The comfort of divine faithfulness. What a comfort it is. But Paul doesn't stop there. 
He doesn't stop because faithfulness is a double-edged sword. Christ is faithful. That is a great comfort to those who suffer and endure by God's grace. But at the same time, divine faithfulness is a great warning to those who deny Christ, who prove disloyal to Christ. So we pick this up at the second part of verse 12. This is the warning of divine faithfulness. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. We think of Psalm 18, verse 25, to the faithful you show yourself faithful. To the blameless you show yourself blameless. To the pure you show yourself pure. But to the devious you show yourself shrewd. And so here is the faithful saying. Here is the divine if-then of God's faithfulness, the faithfulness of Christ. If we disown him or deny him, he will as well. He will disown. He will deny. Doesn't your mind go to the Gospels of Mark 8? And Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Let me just stop there and ask, are you ashamed of Jesus this morning? You may be here for all kinds of reasons, but in your life out there, in this generation, are you ashamed of him? You need to ask that. That's what Jesus is talking about. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, I don't want to be known as a Christian. I don't want to be known as a Bible thumper. Not me. Not one of those. I'm with you guys. Not him. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. That's so solemn. There's a wonderful glory in the gospel that for sinners, the Bible says that Christ was not ashamed to call us brothers for those he came to save. But there will be those at the last great day and Christ will be ashamed of them. He'll turn from them. He'll say, depart from me. He will disown them. This is a faithful saying. Whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Matthew 10, 33. It's a faithful saying and a fearful saying. 
because God is not mocked. Christ takes seriously how people relate to him. You may not take that seriously at all. People that we speak to may not take it seriously in the least, but Jesus does. Now, as we hear these words, if we disown him, he will also disown us. Many of you probably are thinking of Peter, the disciple. Matthew twenty six seventy two. he denied it again with an oath, I don't know the man. That wasn't the unpardonable sin. There is, in the gospel, forgiveness and repentance, as we see with Peter and not with Judas. We need to remember God knows the heart. And if that heart is a denying, disowning heart, even in someone who comes to church every Sunday, if that is a denying and disowning heart, then it is certainly true he will also disown us. He is faithful to the warnings he speaks. If a heart, if a person doesn't know Christ, then in the end Christ will say, I never knew you. Apart Depart from me, away from me, you evildoers. In John 8, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. If we disown him, he will disown us. That's the warning of divine faithfulness to his promises and his word. And that warning continues in the fourth part of this faithful saying. And as we come to this fourth one, often I hear people actually reverse the biblical intent of of line four, of part four. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. People often reverse that, I think, as if to say, as if thinking that what Paul is saying here is, even if I am faithless, if I deny Christ, Christ is faithful and will bless me anyway. I hear that from this verse so, so often. But line four, part four, is making the same point as line three, but in a much more forceful and profound way. The Bible never condones or comforts unbelief and unfaithfulness. That's what people try to extract from this verse. Well, if I am unbelieving, if I am faithless, Christ is faithful and it will be okay in the end. The Bible nowhere gives comfort to those who are living in unfaithfulness and unbelief. The call is not, or the comfort is not, it will be okay in the end. The call is repent and believe. Because God is faithful to his warnings as much as he is faithful to his promises. If we are faithless, if we deny Christ, if we are disloyal to Christ, as 
a fruit of a disloyal heart, an unconverted heart, an unbelieving heart. As one commentator said, not merely proving unfaithful in a time of trial, like Peter, or shrinking from confessing what we inwardly feel to be the truth concerning him, but rejecting or abandoning our hold on the truth and passing over entirely into the region of unbelief. If that is where someone is at, well, then this is where the fourth part applies. But here the pattern changes. We've seen three promises or three future realities. We will live with him. We will reign with him. He will disown. Three future things. But now a statement. A glorious statement. The fourth statement could not be like the third. Or it would be, if we are faithless, he will be faithless. That's not the way it works. No, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. The warning is true because of who Jesus is, who God is. He is the holy God who does not change. He is the God of truth who cannot lie in his promises and in his warnings. This faithful saying declares the comfort of divine faithfulness and the warning of Christ's faithfulness. And they are both grounded in the third part of this faithful saying, the necessity of divine faithfulness. He remains faithful. And what does Paul say at the end? For he cannot disown himself. He cannot deny himself. People can disown Christ. Christ can disown people. But here is the foundation of everything. Christ cannot disown himself. He cannot not keep his promises. He cannot not follow through on his warnings. I, the Lord, do not change. Malachi 3.6. That is so basic. It is so fundamental. But so many people think otherwise. Counting on God not keeping his word. That's really what people are counting on so often. We hear them say it. Oh, well, I'm sure in the end everything will be okay. That's not what God has said. And he's faithful to what he said in his warnings and wonderfully in his promises. God is faithful to his word. Whatever the nature of that word is, promise or warning, Christ is faithful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is a faithful saying about the faithfulness of Christ who cannot disown himself. And so as we think of this, even just briefly this morning, this faithful saying, this multifaceted faithful saying, let me ask you, in the face of trouble and hardship, even persecution for Christ's sake, as you look at your own life, as I look at my own life, 
This morning we should ask ourselves, am I faithful to Jesus? Am I loyal to Jesus above all? Do I own him? Do I confess him and profess him in hard situations? Or really in my heart of hearts, do I disown him? Does my life show faithfulness to Christ? By faithfulness in my life. Am I faithful to my promises? Promises and vows of membership in the church. Is my life marked by faithfulness? Is there a faithfulness outwardly that flows out of a faithfulness to Christ inwardly in my heart? We can't say we have one that we can't see if we don't do the other that we can see. That's First John. You can't say, I love God, but not love your brother. The outward confirms the inward. Am I faithful to my vows in the church? Am I faithful in my marriage vows? Am I faithful in the promises that I made before God with respect to my children? Baptismal vows. Am I faithful at work? Am I faithful in my business dealings? Am I faithful in the words that I speak as I interact with people and say, I will do this or I won't do that? 2 Corinthians 1.18, but surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. A faithfulness in our relationships and our commitments. But beloved, as we think about our own lives and whatever the Holy Spirit may be showing you in the quietness of your own heart right now as you think about your life the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is calling you to consider even more the faithfulness of Christ the faithfulness of Christ as a warning and if you know in your heart this morning that you're unfaithful unbelieving disowning him. And today is the day of salvation. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O God, the sinner. My sins of unfaithfulness in my life, but to you overall. But also by God's grace, consider the faithfulness of Christ as a great comfort for those who believe who are trusting in a Savior for the forgiveness of sin. The comfort of Lamentations 3, because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Because we need forgiveness every morning, day by day. They are new every morning, and then you know what the writer says. Great is your faithfulness. As Solomon said, praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. 
Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant, Moses. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. For he cannot disown himself. You know, beloved, one day, every believer, I'm sure, looks forward to hearing these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And whether or not we will actually respond with words, I don't know. But I'm sure every Christian will also know very well on hearing those words that any and all of our faithfulness in life was because of Christ's faithfulness to us. That his compassions never fail. And they are new every morning. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments.